Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, for he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come to his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we cannot even comprehend the greatness of the God that you are. Our, our minds are just so small, and you are so vast. But we thank you for your word that gives us glimpses of who you are and how awesome you are. And Father, I just pray today that we glorify your name, we glorify your son's name, and that your Holy Spirit work in our hearts to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. And we just uh, give it all to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. As you can see, Pastor Walter is not here. He let, let y'all know the last couple weeks that he was going to be out and get ready for the next year in, in uh, bringing the sermons. So y'all are stuck with me, so when they sing, you can kind of and you go into the restroom and leave if you so choose. But um, it's good to see you all this morning, uh, another beautiful day. And um, I, th I think for announcements, um, the, this is the last day at least for to bring your um, the shoebox for Samaritan's Purse here today. So if someone's, uh, as far as I know, is taking them, I don't know who that is, but somebody... Yes, is uh, taking them, so make sure that uh, you have everything together for that, and I know that, I'm not sure how long, I know Southside is one of the destinations, so if um, you weren't able to bring it today or you left it at home or something, uh, you could probably drop it off at Southside, but I'm not sure exactly how long that they are accepting. Yes. Okay, great. So look online if you were running behind or didn't bring it or, or what have you to, uh, to, to find. So that is, a, that is a great opportunity to reach people who hopefully we will meet in glory one day for uh, sharing 
uh, the love of Christ through a small gift. Any other announcements? Okay. Well, I was just going to talk about lunch. Oh, yes. So, um, on Sunday nights, the the leadership has been kind of getting together and, and sharpening each other, uh, so to speak, and and praying and, and studying. And um, so, you know, we if, when we we step back and we look at the church, you know, what the church is supposed to be. You know, we, we read about in Acts chapter 2 how, how the first church, you know, they, they met in each other's homes, they, they ate together, they fellowshiped together, they studied the apostles' teachings, you know, and, and they learned about each other's needs. And if they didn't have the money to, to help somebody, they would sell, you know, their own possessions to get money to help them. You know, they, they were a family. You know, and they 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 lean on each other, and that's what families do. And and us here, we are a family, right? But how? When you step back and you look at that, are we really? Do, are we acting like a family? Are we doing the things? How do we even? How do we even learn about each other's needs? If we come to church, we sit down, we listen to the preacher, and after the last song is over, you're out the door. You don't get an opportunity to to fellowship, and that's that's where <clears throat> the there's a really important factor in what they did in that fellowship. You know, a lot of us take fellowship lightly, like oh, it's just social time. Well, what that is, that is the grassroots of discipleship, guys. How are we supposed to come alongside each other and disciple each other <clears throat> if we don't know each other? And so, you know, that's that's a piece of the puzzle that we feel like is lacking with our family here. And so, <clears throat> you know, how do we how do we start to correct that? And I know COVID's throwing some wrenches in this whole fellowship thing. But <clears throat> what we what we're thinking about doing starting next Sunday is all right, so what when when everybody when that last song finishes, what is everybody's most most on their minds when they're leaving here first thing you want to do when you leave church eat that's right we're all going to eat lunch and a lot of us are rushing to get to lunch um and so you know we're gonna do it we're gonna eat after we leave here and don't families sorry the 29th um is when i guess the projected date i was thinking it was next sunday but anyway 29th so the thing we're going to do, you know, we're going we're going to eat. We're going to eat. Why and families eat together, right? We're not going to make this a formal thing. And that's where we we get caught up sometimes. We're going to put someone in charge and we're going to do this and we're going to organize and we're going to have this and we're going to plan meals and we're going to pay and we're going to do, you know, let's not get caught up in that, guys, cuz families kind of let it all hang out. When they go eat lunch, they're going to warm up leftovers. They're going to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. They're going to so what we're saying is, why don't we, why don't we just do that together? Why don't we bring our leftovers here? We got microwaves. Why don't we bring our peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in a cooler or something? And just, why don't we sit down and fellowship and just talk about each other's week and eat our leftovers and then we can go home. And I know that it's not going to be every family every Sunday. And a lot of people like to go and they have traditions. They go with their extended family and go do other things. But you know. Some of us are going to hang out and eat our leftovers together. So if you guys want to hang out with us and eat leftovers or peanut butter jellies or whatever you want to bring, 
we're going to start doing that apparently on the 29th. <laughs> so so there's where we're at in our, in our, our first attempt to try to really become a, a family, a tighter-knit family that we can start discipling each other a little better. All right. Thank you, Brian. All right. If there's no more announcements, if I could get some gentlemen up here to uh, take offering. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. You, you give us so much. You uh, have blessed us with uh, so many physical, earthly things, but even more so, you have blessed us with uh, our salvation through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to give back to you, and we uh, pray that it will be blessed so that... Um, we can be disciples that make disciples and reach the world for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, as a church family, let's stand up and let's worship our God. Guys, this song is called Open Up the Heavens. We want to see you open up the floodgates. You are the reason we're here. You're the reason we're singing. Is that true in your heart this morning? Is, is that the whole reason you woke up and came here this morning? Because you are desiring to see God and to see him move in your church family this morning. So, guys, let's, uh, let's stand up and get this thing going. Don't forget to pray for Pastor Walter this week as he is preparing messages and that he will hear from God what he wants us to hear, what he needs to hear. Because it's so much better when you hear from God what needs to be said and you know that that's what the messages that God wants you to say. And this morning, um, what I'll be bringing to you about Christ and his bride is what God has laid on my heart to uh, say this morning. It's not necessarily what I want to say, but I think it is important for the church. And um, so I'll, we need uh, the Holy Spirit to speak through us. So this morning, Christ and his bride. The heart of the gospel is the marriage of Christ, the bridegroom, and the church who is his bride. Satan is on a mission 
to destroy everything that glorifies God. And we can see that all throughout Scripture, starting in Genesis 3 all the way through. That is Satan's mission, is to destroy everything that glorifies God. Now, will he be able to do that? Obviously not. He is a created being. He is an angel that has fallen and has taken angels with him that we refer to as demons. He only has so much power that God allows him to have. And at the moment, he has that power. But one day, he will not have that power. He will be bound in the lake of fire for eternity with the demons and those who have not accepted Christ. So Satan's on a mission. Make no mistake. God hates all sin. Let's be clear about that. God hates and despises all sin. We are all liars, murderers, and adulterers at heart. In Matthew 5, 21 and 27 through 28, um, it talks about that it's a heart issue. If you hate your brother, it's the same as murder. If you uh, lust after another, it is the same as adultery. It's the sin starts in the heart. The heart is evil and wicked. It is not just doing the action, which sometimes we just look for the action, but God is looking at the heart. And this morning, as you see on your sheet, there's a lot of uh, scripture passages on that. Turn to the ones that you want to. Listen to the ones that I uh, read. I will read a lot of them. And that's because I want you to hear from the Word of God, not from me. God's Word is living and active. My Word is not. God's Word will penetrate the heart and soul. My word won't. So I want you to hear from God and not me this morning. So in first, uh, let me read real quick in verse Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, no swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. So it is the work of God that changes our heart. So let's turn to now to our passage for this morning. We'll be looking at Ephesians 5, 22 through 23, 22 through 33. Let's stand as we read the word of the Lord this morning. And a lot of, and a, there's two, two ways in looking at it, and they're both right in 22 through 33, the physical marriage part, but we're going to look more at and hit more on the spiritual side of it, of 22 through 33 of Ephesians 4. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of, his, of the wife, and Christ 
also is the head of the church, and he himself being Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, and I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his, wife, his own wife, even as himself, and let his wife see to it that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, we just need your Holy Spirit this morning to speak to us and to teach us and to lead us into all truth. Lord, that we will see from your word what you say and that we will hear what you want us to hear. So we give all the glory to you this morning and we ask that you speak this morning and not from me because you know I'm not worthy. But yet you have asked me to speak this this morning. So I pray it will glorify your name and edify your church. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage in Ephesus, uh, in Ephesians to the church in Ephesus, we see that uh, Paul, just like Christ, used the analogy of the church of marriage uh, for Christ and the church. That Paul brings it out uh, here, and. So let's look, starting at where marriage is, where uh, marriage comes from, and in creation in Genesis three, because um, that's a good place to start. So starting at the beginning in Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-six, and it's hard to turn on this thing. Let's see, Genesis one. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our own likeness and let them rule over the fish of the earth and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over 
every living thing that moves on the earth. So in the beginning, God created man, and he created man as a male. In, in Genesis 2, 21 through 24, it says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then, uh, you can keep your finger in Genesis if you want and go to Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. And here the Pharisees are asking Jesus a question. And Jesus answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And he said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So in these verses, we see what God has created. He created male and female. And that is important because today there is not just an assault on marriage. Now there is an assault on what God has created. Now, if you call someone a he or a she or a him or her or whatever, man or woman, then that's not right. Then you're politically incorrect or wrong or whatever you want to phrase all that that junk. Right here in Scripture, God said that He created them male. He created them female. So your argument is with God. It's not with me. If you disagree with me, then that's fine. Take it up with God. I didn't write this, and I didn't, I'm not the creator. So you, you, need to, you need to discuss that with Him. But male and female, God created. And it's not just, some, some people will say that, well, that's just an Old Testament thing. Well, Jesus brings it into the New Testament in Matthew, as well as its other places. But let's just go with the Messiah for the moment. I think he uh, qualifies to, uh, to uh, be the man since uh, he is the head of the church and our Savior. So in Genesis 5, one through two, and I find this interesting that later, uh, later on in the book of Genesis, God reiterates again in the book what he said earlier in, in Genesis chapter one and two. And it says, uh, this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day when God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. 
he created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. So again, God restates the same thing. And, and this is really an assault. Satan is really assaulting the church in what he is going against uh, with all of this uh, gender mess going on and homosexuality and all that. It's an assault on the church because one of our main analogies of understanding the church is marriage. You take that out, we're kind of lost with how that works. So just like Satan, we make it about ourselves. And let's, let's read real quick Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. Isaiah, Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. Have, how, ha, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You, have, you who have weakened the nations, you have said in your heart, here's the heart again, I will ascend to, to heaven. I will arise. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. See all the eyes in there? Bunch of eyes. It's all about himself. And we do the same thing, maybe not so blatant and so in your face to God as Satan but we tend to do that and make it about ourselves. And once we make it about ourselves, it is no longer about God. And we are sinning against God because we have put ourselves in the place of God. And obviously, we are not God because we cannot control anything. And if this year does not prove it, then I, I don't know what to tell you. Because this year has been a year as, you, as if you're in seen any social media or talked to anybody, everyone's talking about uh, escaping uh, 2020. But as we talked about, and, and I hope you all did too, in Sunday school this morning in Isaiah, hope is not God, at least to the world, if not America specifically, trying to bring us hope and that our hope isn't in our economy or our president or our nation, but our hope is in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So I think God's trying to get America's attention and especially the church. Every intention of mankind's heart is continually evil. Genesis 6, 5. Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a pretty, pretty tough, pretty tough verse right there. It doesn't say that some or, you know, they had a few bad days and their intentions weren't 
right? This is God speaking, Jehovah God. Every intention of their, every intention of the thoughts of his heart are evil continually. In our world today, they tell you, follow your heart, your heart knows, do what you feel, all that kind of mess. Well, if you read Scripture, Scripture does not paint a pretty picture of our heart. And it really, and if our heart was that good, it wouldn't make sense then that Jesus Christ came and died, and in that salvation, he gives us a new heart. So why, why did he give us a new heart if our old heart was okay? It's not. Read, read uh, 1 Corinthians. Read some of the Apostle Paul's writings well, as well as Jesus said the same thing, especially to the religious leaders, that you cannot do anything good until apart from Christ. So if you are apart from Christ, that means you are not saved and you can do nothing good. So when people say, well, when I get to heaven, I'll tell them all the good things that I've done. Okay, well, you, you may have saved the world, maybe even literally, but if Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, you're out of luck. Because right here, God says, every intention of the thoughts of his heart are only evil, are evil continually. So what he says, and that's just one verse. I had like 20 of them marked, and Carol said I couldn't read them all. So there's a bunch of them, though. Uh, another one, I just picked, I think, three of them. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9. Because, I mean, don't we want to think good about ourselves? And doesn't society tell us we need to think good about ourselves and all of that? And we do. We, we want to think, well, we're, we're not that bad. We're okay. And, but we're not. If we were okay, then, then we learned about in Isaiah this, again this morning. And I, and I love the way that God puts stuff together. <laughs> God asked me to, to speak about this this morning, and who knows when uh, the uh, Southern Baptists put together that Sunday school curriculum, and it all fits right together. I mean, we learned this morning that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. Why did he come and die if we were okay? Really? You know, that's like a firefighter going into a burning building and dying, and there's nobody in there. You know, you hear that on the news, you'd be like, what? Now, he goes in there to save somebody. That's a different story. But going in there and there's nobody in there, they just went in there just because, because it was on fire. That, that makes no sense. You'd be like, okay, there was something wrong with that guy. The elevator did not go all the way up to the top, or he had some very terrible training, one of the two, you know. And, and that would be the same thing. I mean, we're talking about God himself, who's way smarter than we are. And I think smart is actually uh, making, is actually a, uh, a slap in God's face because that doesn't even come close to, to his brilliance. But Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I know we can't, only God can. The heart is more deceitful than all else 
and is desperately sick. And once again, Isaiah, didn't Isaiah say, talk about sickness, sick, sin, is what it was referring to, an illness. When I looked it up in the Hebrew, uh, it was talking about sick as in being something, an incurable disease is what it's referring to, which that's what sin is. It's an incurable disease. It can only be cured by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, out of the heart of man proceeds evil thoughts. Mark 7, 20. Let's look at that, at Mark 7, 20 real quick. And there's, I mean, we could spend a whole long time on the words of Jesus. We're just tapping into a verse here and there of what he said. That which proceeds out of the man, that which defiles the man, from, for from within, out of the evil heart of men, proceeds the evil thoughts, fornication, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil thoughts proceed from within and defile the man. So these are the words of Jesus. Not just the prophet. Not just Moses recording what God said. This comes from Jesus himself. When we commit any sin, we are making it about ourselves. And that goes back to Isaiah uh, 14 with Satan, Lucifer. He made it all about himself, and that was the fall. He wanted to be God. He wanted to dethrone God. And us, just like Satan, we're not too bright because we try and do the same thing and dethrone God in our lives all the time. And really, isn't that the reason for the anti-God in the world and in America? Because if there is a God, then that means I'm responsible to him. But if there is no God, I'm not responsible to anybody but myself. And that's, that's actually a very dangerous thing. Even, let's just say for the moment, for a hypothetical whatever you want to call it, uh, if there was no God, it would be better that man thought that there was a God and a higher being, because if not, then why be kind to somebody? Right, anything goes. I mean, we wonder why the world of America is the way it is, but we're teaching evolution. What is the pr one of the primary statements of evolution? Survival of the fittest. So if I kill all you all, well, oh well, too bad. Um, so I'm the fittest. I guess I'm the fittest. So I, you know, it's just stuff like that. But the, it's like, it's it's simple. It makes it's a scary thought that if we are part of evolution, then then what's what's the problem with slavery? Survival of the fittest. 
I mean, you can put that with almost anything. Oh, COVID, oh, too bad for you, you got it. Survival of the fittest. You know, it sounds very evil, and it is, because it is separated from God. <laughs> but praise, it, we are so fortunate that there is a God. Well, actually, it's impossible we wouldn't exist if there wasn't a God. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that somebody had to create what is created. No, nobody believes that their car just happened to uh, appear one day because a bunch of plastic and steel was, was laying in a building and it slowly evolved into this magnificent machine that takes you where you want to go. If I preached that to you, you would all throw me out of the building or get the two men in a white coat for a straitjacket. But yet we believe that for something more complicated as the creation of this world. Not necessarily we, but people. I hope we don't. But yet, again, Satan trying to destroy the things of God and the glory of God, the church has brought in evolution. Well, you know, let's be okay with that. Well, God created, and then there was evolution, and then God got back involved, and then there was evolution. What kind of mess is that? I mean, I, I, you would hope that that's not the way that who, whatever 